0: Welcome to the J3 University Podcast. Each week we bridge the gap between science and in the trench experience or physique enhancement. I'm your host John Jewett. Let class begin. Hello everyone. Welcome to the J3U podcast. I'm your host John Jewett, and with me is co-host Luke Miller. And today, I'm really excited to have on Serena Sloot, who is a nurse practitioner and an NPC wellness competitor and a J3 J3U University nerd like me. (laughs) Um, How are you doing today, Serena? Thanks for joining us.
1: Great. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm a big fan of your work, and I'm really excited to share some things from my perspective and learn everything you guys have to teach me on this podcast this morning.
0: Yeah, the, the topic for the, the podcast was going to be diving into the world of HRT and, and definitely specific around the competitor, the female competitor. And it's not an area that we hear a lot on. Uh, and there's a lot of, I, I think, things that are occurring within competitors before they even go into the show. Just We see a lot of issues just around not having normal menses and even having competitors with perimenopausal symptoms at younger ages, late 20s, early 30s, to where their, their, their menstrual cycle is abnormal and they might not even know it, which could be indicated that they are having hormone abnormalities, which can affect them from a physique perspective going into a contest prep. Then it only gets worse going into a prep, right? Because you go into prep, get low energy availability, low body fat, low food, high output, and then you see all the hormone dysregulation that's occurs. Then post-show, it's a mess, right? You have low hormones, low estrogen, low progesterone, low testosterone, uh, mood disorders. You need, you need this recovery state to happen. And so why I wanted Serena on is because she deals with a lot of the back end of this or even the front end before people go into a prep, but she gets the problems coming through the door, which of many females don't even know that might even be a problem. And so that's kind of like where I wanted to open up the conversation First, Serena, is you're probably getting because you, when your first post you made on J3 University was about perimenopausal females, and before they maybe even enter into a prep, and uh, just what you're seeing within that and why it's even an issue for a competitor, just kind of lay I guess the groundwork of understanding there. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So typically my practice deals with a lot of lifestyle clients. I have a handful of um, NPC and IFBB competitors. But you know the main thing that brings people into my practice for HRT is obviously the complaints of fatigue, of weight loss resistance, maybe the weights going in places that they're not used to it going despite training, despite diet, despite you know checking all the boxes, having a coach doing all the right things. Kind of secondary complaints when we delve into it a little bit, you know, they may or may not have abnormal cycles. There's a lot of people too that have had ablations, so they're not cycling. They have no idea where they typically would be at in their cycle. But, you know, when we dig a little deeper, there's some mood changes, some brain fog, maybe some insomnia, not getting that full night's rest, waking up plus or minus. And so we really want to delve into first what's what's their baseline at. And, you know, baseline hormones, hormone. people think of hormones they think of for menopause, but as John spoke to, I'm typically seeing perimenopausal hormonal changes, you know, in these late twenties, early thirties. And, you know, we can pass it from but the point is that they're there and, So baseline labs is going to be really, really important to these people. And some people will come and say, well, you know, I don't know what, I don't know what my cycles are. I've had ablation. I've had a partial hysterectomy, so you can't help me. And so kind of one of the sidebar takeaways I want to encourage people is we can actually help you. Um, I've done some things with people where we actually do what's called cycle mapping. So, There's a few companies we can reach out to that will check your estrogen, progesterone, testosterone on a daily level via saliva testing for 30 days. And we can map you out, uh, even if we can't just spot check you, you know, send you into a lab that day and get your labs done. Kind of the second component is they'll tell me, well, my hormones have been checked in the past and they've been fine. Okay, well, what's fine? What's fine for the average person versus the lifestyle person versus the competitor, those are going to be very different baselines because there's different metabolic, physical, mental demands on the body. So we have to really look at the person as far as what what their goals are, what are they achieving before we say your labs are fine. The other question I'm typically asking is, okay, if you knew where you were at in your cycle, um, when was it drawn? oh, I have no idea. Well, then that tells me that you, you know, could have had labs that you're looking at saying they're normal and maybe they're normal for a follicular stage, you know, short, short answer being the first half of your cycle before you ovulate versus the luteal phase, they'd be completely, you know, terrible if those were your levels, you know, that we were expecting post ovulation. So, you know, they're coming in typically, you know, Again, to answer your question, fatigue, weight loss, resistance, number two things, probably for both my lifestyle and my competitors. Um, For the competitors, they are not, you know, cardio has been up, food's maybe down, they're not seeing results, you know, they're getting ready to go into a prep, ideally if I catch them or they're already in a prep and something's not right and they wanna see if there's something they can do to fix it.
0: Yeah, and you you pulled out some good points there about for one, and I'll see this too is like usually you've turned all, all the variables on that could help someone to get optimal progress, but it's still not there. But even if, even in those that are still like making decent progress, um, sometimes I'll find even with within them, like y- you'll have someone that gets close to their, you know, day one, first day of menses where they have their actual period. And the week right before, like there's like extreme bloating. Um, weight gain, higher anxiety, or I'll even notice like a a drop off in recoverability and ability to train and GI function gets way off. And, or they might just have like, and then you start digging, like, what is, what is a normal period? Like what would be a normal flow? What would be normal symptoms? And uh, it's a lot of times people don't report that because it might've been there normal for so long. And there's a lot of things you can do and and what the type of period that you're having and type of symptoms you're having could be related to maybe too much estrogen exposure or not enough progesterone. So you have that imbalance present. And so just because you maybe you are able to have the physique changes still might not be that you're not optimal. And uh, I think that's another aspect too that you might see come in or that just doesn't get so underreported. Um, that you don't even hear about it.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, for what I will see, typically those will be my girls that are like on the team that I compete with that will be having these sidebar conversations of what's going on, what's good, bad on a daily basis. I don't get to see you know, I'd love to, but I don't get to see that as much from a patient perspective, but my yeah. friends that are patients, I, you know, we get to know that really well. And you hit the nail on the head. It's like, you're having all these PMS, you know, issues the week before, that's there's probably some sort of luteal phase defect of progesterone or, you know, too much estrogen. And those are the ones we can, you know, have those sidebar conversations. It's like, oh, you know, we should do this, that, or whatever. But I think for everyone, probably the takeaway, you, you're exactly right. Your normal has been your normal for so long. You don't even recognize it as an issue. Kind of talking about one of the best things in response to trying to figure out if your normal is normal or not. And one of the things I tell everyone is get a calendar and write down each day where your strength's at, where your hunger's at, where your sleep's at, and where your mood is at. Because typically you're exactly right. It's going to be cyclical, it's going to be pattern, it's going to be predictable. And we can do a lot as far as supplementation and adjustments. Um, if we can actually pattern out those types of behaviors and make adjustments for them.
0: Now, would you have someone, because I've been told this when Renee was like, Hey, when you feel with my wife, Renee, when you feel really, really good, let's pull your labs then and see where you're at to try to set that more as you're set up for a baseline versus, Hey, let's pull out a day 21. When you might be able to see the peak progesterone level, post um, ovulation, if it's happening, um, Mm -hmm. do you follow something in suit like that? Or is it, I mean, with the new patients, like, hey, you draw it or?
1: I think um, probably not initially, just because most of my patients are insurance-based, so we kind of have um, caveats there but i think that's a great point because when we talk about not everyone's optimals on paper are very very different so maybe you're optimal for your estrogen and your progesterone your testosterone or x y and z that we wouldn't have necessarily even acknowledged had we not know that was your great day um and then then again it's something that if i was going to do for like a cash paying person to try to limit lab draws and costs, that's something I would probably do a cycle mapping on them and try to say, okay, you know, if you kept track of everything over this 30 days, what was your best day? And look at those numbers on that best day. Cause I'm going to get them every
0: day. I get totally like from a feasibility aspect and logistically, that's very hard to do. Like, Hey, I feel great. Can I come in and get my board work drawn today? Oh no, that's going to be next week. Um, by the way, I have to bill my insurance out or I can't private pay. So um, yeah. there, is, there is some limitations within that. Um, but I, of course, like cycle mapping, finding where be- you feel your best, that makes a lot of sense for these yes. individuals that are coming in before, like right when they come in through this, through this aspect and, and having these issues occur. Um, and in this perimenopausal state, before even going down the HRT route, um, what, what areas can we address before going there? Or are you s- usually seeing people that, Hey, no, this is going to happen. Or, um, is, is there ways to trial? Cause some people have a, or there's a real, a barrier to HRT, to taking a, Exogenous replacement dosage versus I know competitors are like oh yeah yeah no problem how much windstraw do I need to be on, but right. you know you, you want to tell them to like take testosterone or estradiol and you get all this backlash. But there's probably individuals before that step um, that might have some remedies before going the HRT route, um, especially maybe natural competitors. You know that that might not be an option for these individuals um what what routes can we go through and are you seeing within like these perimenopausal symptoms that they're already kind of too far gone or do you think it's still kind of like this um more hypothalamic amenorrhea where it's like stress induced and we can work on these other areas to to before going hrt it's a
1: little column a little column b it's definitely going to depend on your the person their compliance level their willingness to take a lot of natural supplementation um versus just give me something to fix it and that's obviously a personal preference we, almost everyone can re- work on the adrenal component of their life, you know, whether it be, you know, have we reset your adrenals enough that you're getting your seven to nine hours of sleep? So are you following an appropriate circadian rhythm? Um, you know, where are your precursors to uh, how your adrenal gland functions? Like how, how's your fasting blood sugar? How's your DHEA level? You know, how's an AM serum cortisol level? Those are all things we can look at to say, okay, those are all aspects that we could address naturally because if we look at our sex hormone steroid pathway, you know, it starts with cortisol and then we go pregnant alone and we go all the way down the loop and, you know, everything is affected by everything else. So if we wanted to pick one thing to start with from a natural perspective, I'd probably pick the adrenal gland and adrenal health and work on that. Um, you know, we can use our adaptogens like our ashwagandha, shisandra berry, rhodiola, um, and those will, you know, kind of help down the line with a little bit of progesterone function. We can look at um, you know, pregnant alone for progesterone um, supplementation, chase berry, APO. So I guess the long, the short answer to that is there's there's absolutely a way to support things naturally. Typically in my clinic, um, I would say it's probably 50-50. Some people will come back to me three to six months later and say it made a difference. Other people will say, I feel a little bit better, but I'd like to go the next route. Probably the takeaway is you don't have to do everything all at once. You don't have to go full bore HRT. There's always stepwise fashions that you can look at and aspects of um, hormonal balance that we can try to cre- correct naturally, particularly with a natural competitor too. Um, you know, we talk about Obviously, they can't take testosterone in a natural competition. So are we utilizing our DHEA, our zinc and chrysan to increase free testosterone levels? There's even, you know, kind of plus or minus the studies on iodine use, if you really kind of get into that, which I haven't personally, but I I do have the book that I pulled off and I know it's out there. So we can always do things naturally. We can fix our gut health, which is going to, you know, help with our estrogen metabolism. We can, you know, obviously avoiding soy, avoiding our plastics for, because we live in such an estrogen dominant world. So there's a lot of pre-steps that we can take. Typically with my competitors, they're not drinking, but, you know, and my average lifestyle person, it's like, okay, how clogged up is your liver? Because our liver is going to detoxify all of our sex hormones. Do we need to look at a liver cleanse to try to get that functioning optimally as well? Um, so there's, so, there's there is so many things you can do just as a natural competitor, as a lifestyle person, or even pre-show that have nothing to do with prescriptive full-bore HRT that's going to set you up for better outcomes and limiting what we would have to use later on down the line for um, full-on prescriptive grade HRT
2: management. I think one of the biggest things to communicate if you do go that that before HRT route is just the timeline associated with that a lot of times, because it, it is going to take time to resolve, especially if we're talking like addressing adrenal function and things along those lines is it, it's you you put yourself into this state over a 2024, 20, 26 week contest prep. You're not fixing that in three weeks time, right? Like that's going to take. absolutely. We have,
1: we have that talk so much in my office where it took years to get you here. You know, it's going to take time to get you out of it. And we also have to be realistic with what, what aspects of your life are non-negotiable, what things just aren't going to change about stress, about your routine. And we have to work within those realms. Same thing with a, you know, with a competitor, you know, when's your next show? When are you going to put yourself through this again? Are we, are you going to give yourself the time to get back to a baseline? Are we going to be in this suboptimal functioning
2: period? Yeah, I, I just worked with, through this with a client that's actually a nurse practitioner as well. She's just kind of on the back end of a prep that I picked her up kind of like mid-late, so it was just kind of mm-hmm. like too late. She'd been pretty far gone. Um, and she's just now seeing that upswing of addressing some of these like cortisol patterns and adrenal function, right? And she's like feeling great again, but it's taken, you know, 12 weeks post-show for her to feel good for a couple of days. So it's one of those things, like it's a timeline thing.
0: We, we that, that. That's, a, that's a great aspect to bring up, Luke, because... Uh, what you see so common in female competitors. And this is in males too. We compete frequent, but we don't aren't subjective as much to the reproductive and hormonal aspects that females are, but you get on the circuit to where you come off a show, you just barely recover. Then you're already back into a prep. So you never really spend good time in a optimal state with higher body fat Really higher body fat, where it's productive for a menstrual cycle to happen, in a lower stress state, um, and, and just also with with within training capacity. Because you see females that are constantly low calorie, constantly high cardio, and they just never back off enough to restore proper menstrual function and hold there for a good off season. And that's more so why you need an off season as a female. I think just to keep that that function properly and keep in a good metabolic state, to where you're not going prep after prep and getting less and less out of it. Um, but with that being said, what we're talking about is like for the any competitor, is that it's a lot of this is stress induced and drives from your adrenal gland. Um, causing issues on, on the hypothalamus and pituitary axis to not put out the stimulus you need for proper ovarian function. Um, what I do see over time is that the, the more you keep competing, the harder and harder it is to get back to norm. And the harder it is to get back to a normal menstrual cycle function, which I, that's the conversation I'm sure you have, Serena. Is like, Hey, yes. th- this is not compromisable. I will keep competing. You have someone that's a pro that wants to do the Olympia every year. Like, hey, likely you're going to have to do HRT and we're not going to have mm-hmm. a conversation about let's restore your menstrual cycle and because and, mm-hmm. that, that timeline just doesn't fit in with what the goals are. And I think that's when you need to differentiate because I just had a conversation with one of my, my figure pros that it was important for her to have fertility and be able to have children in the future. It took her about eight months post-show to actually have her first menstrual cycle. Yes. That's a long time. Um, and that's still like, OK, now we're going to be a productive off season, and that's going to be another six plus months. If you do another prep, you might eventually never get your menstrual cycle back. And you, are you OK with that? Um, yeah. Because that's the reality of being a, a competitor and doing this over and over and over. But uh, anyway, yeah, I think that's that's a great thing to bring up. Like there's areas to address without HRT, but you have to weigh out what your goals are within this. Yeah.
1: And I think I think that's a really important conversation um, for you two as coaches. I really commend you for having that conversation because it's always a sad conversation for me to have on the back end when I see them, you know, four or five years later and no one told them and they didn't know. Um, And that's always, you know, part of what I try to do, you know, with my risk benefit conversation, too, is very much, you know, especially if they already are a little bit perimenopausal. It's like, you know, if if we're never getting back to optimal, you know, I can respect your choice, but understand you're 30 years old and it's unlikely, you know, to regain that true fertility if we keep going this route another five years.
0: Yep. And, and so once we get to this state, we're like, okay, I'm a competitor. This is going to keep happening. This HRT route, is, is, is what probably needs to happen because I, I, I do get some females that don't understand the actual benefits from a physique aspect of having estrogen and progesterone in place. Um, eventually your, their blood panel looks like a man, <laughs> Truth, yeah. you know, yeah, you know, truthfully, yeah, absolutely right. <laughs> if I look at it, it's like, okay, you have a test level of like 600 because you're on androgens, you have an estrogen that's below 30 or, 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 or just a single right. digit. Um, yes. you're, you're, you don't have any ovarian function anymore. Um, and then you also have a very low progesterone. Your, your hormone panel looks like a male and you're headed towards masculinizing side effects. There are benefits to having estrogen in place from one up like a bone mass a- aspect. Also, like for, for guys like and for anyone, estrogen is cardioprotective, protective, kidney protective um, and anabolic. It's a very anabolic hormone in females. It keeps you sensitive to insulin. It also helps with GH to IGF one conversion. So if you're a female and you don't have enough estrogen, you are limiting your progress. Um, and this this goes with progesterone. It's uh, you know if you get someone that's low estrogen and high progesterone, there is risk factor for insulin resistance and in cardiovascular disease. But you need the right amount of progesterone present because there's a sweet synergy with estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. So. You're, you're- um you know with with the long term say i get some wpd clients that they're like they're not having a menstrual cycle ever again it's over mm-hmm. um but they're not supplementing with with an estrogen which at that point it makes a lot of sense to even though they're not at the age for menopause they basically have already um virilized and gone through menopause themselves so looking into this this aspect now of like implementing hrt what what are we really looking at for you know, if you have someone that just they have you know their labs are way down. Like where where are starting points um, for those? And then I, I kind of want to eventually get into birth control because there's you know that <laughs> that's a mess. I know it's a mess, but there's a there's a rationale behind maybe having birth control in place yep. for a female on prep. But I think it can be done with bioidentical hormones and probably have a better advantage. But Anyway, I just threw a lot at you. I completely agree with you on (laughs) that. I would love to do a study
1: on that. I've been asking people to volunteer for that for years. Just, you know, but I can't guarantee they won't get pregnant with my bioidentical use. So that's the disclaimer (laughs) there.
0: Fair enough. Okay. Um, But in
1: regards to, okay, so, you know, in regards to your competitor and we're there, um, just as a sidebar as a provider, when you talk about estrogen replacement, you know, um, when we go through menopause, our body kind of, sort of, in a way wants to protect us from estrogen-dominant cancers. And so that's one of the natural reasons that we downregulate our estrogen production. I always like to get fractionated estrogens in my patients because it tells me the different types of estrogen. You know, we have good estrogen, we have bad estrogen. And ratios are always important to me because they have done some studies where if you are an estrogen dominant person, meaning you create more of the bad estrogen in ratio to the good estrogen for your total um, for your total estrogen production, you are at higher risk of estrogen dominant breast uterine cancer later on in life. And so when we talk about you know being preventative and being aggressive early on, knowing that you are estrogen dominant can actually, you know, we can do some things on the front end, doesn't mean we can necessarily prevent you from cancer in the future, but we might be able to mitigate some of those risks. But the number one risk with estrogen replacement therapy is uh, is cancer, not that estrogen will give you cancer, but if you at some point develop an estrogen-driven tumor somewhere in your body, we can cause it to rapidly grow. Um, some providers you know, will ask if you have any history of breast cancer, uterine cancer in your family. Um, if they do, it's just a hard pass. Do not pass, go, don't collect $200. I think we can be better than that. We can look at BRCA one and two testing to see if you carry breast cancer genes. We can talk about risk benefit, how often we're getting cancer screenings and we can talk about quality of life. Um, but from the medical aspect, just Quickly, those are the reasons why we wouldn't just hop on board and hand out estrogen to people, even though we know it's cardioprotective, we know it's protective for bones. Um, from a physique aspect, obviously it's going to help, but just as my little disclaimer there. So when you have the WPD person and, uh, you know, they're, we're not coming back from that, we're talking about how are we gonna optimize them? You know, typically if, you have, if you're running an estrogen less than 25 to 30, you're, you're that menopausal range and you're going to have trouble, you know, with insulin regulation, you're going to have trouble with the, you know, adipose visceral fat on the abdomen, things that from a competitive aspect, we don't like your, you know, mood wise, you know, obviously, you're going to have the mood changes, hot flashes, night sweats, all the things that can go along with with limited estrogen production. And if we want to create balance in that, you know, when we, we talk about the body of system, we talk about cortisol regulation, we talk about, you know, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone balance, we need a little bit of estrogen. And I have this fight with a lot of coaches too, that want to get rid of all estrogen as well. And we'll see negative side effects from that. I mean, typically, you know, 30 to 70, maybe 30 to 100, for, depending on where the person's at, is, is a happy estrogen range for a, a female competitor, because you need a little bit of it. So if we can go through those risk benefits and determine that, you know, we're not going to harm them, we, we never want to make something worse, you know, when we're optimizing someone, but we get past that first point And we start seeing the dysregulation that's associated with lack of estrogen, then I think it would potentially be reasonable and, you know, okay to trial a little bit of estrogen supplementation and see
0: how that person does. Would would that Serena, the form of estrogen administration, because I've heard there's higher risk of breast cancer using oral estrogens. And that's why many people have been against using oral birth controls, at least some of the anti-aging doctors that I have spoken with. And, uh, what, what would be your like forms of application for like a, an estrogen based replacement? I a
1: hundred percent agree with oral estrogen. I will not prescribe it in my practice just because first path metabolism, it will convert to estrone and estrone is even though in theory, we're giving it as estradiol. When you put it in your mouth, it's converting to estrone. Many studies have shown that. So okay. we never want to give someone more bad estrogen, um, there's, there's numerous applications, you know, you've got creams, you've got pellets. I don't, I don't love pellets because I'm very, I like tight control of everything. So I won't use pellets in any of my practices because I can't titrate them daily, weekly, even monthly. And they tend to, for me, they overshoot and undershoot. Um, so realistically, it would probably be cream on a daily basis. Um, and that's typically applied a little bit to the intrathigh and a little bit labially. And you know, it, it's nice in that we can really kind of play with the doses if we're looking at our symptoms day to day and adjust you know how many clicks of the cream. It's not a stellar application. It's a little bit messy, but you know that would probably be the closest one that we'd be able to titrate.
0: Within that application, can you actually, because I've seen like with, say like for instance, oral progesterone, it has a very short life in the serum to where if you kept testing labs, like it's never going to show that's elevated unless you took it within the certain time. So frame is the estradiol or estrogen creams. um, Do those have a long enough lifespan within the serum to where you would pick it up on your, on your labs or how, how, how does that actually work? When
1: I use creams, I tell people they need to um, do their lab work with about two hours after the application of the cream. Okay. So that, because that's when that peak mechanism. So that's always an important takeaway because you're absolutely right. You know, someone takes oral progesterone, which we like oral progesterone for the REM sleep effects. But if you take it that night and then go the next day and to try to see what your progesterone is, it's out of your system. There are some pharmacies now that are doing like a sustained release compound um people don't really love that though because then sometimes you get a little bit of the sedative effect i did go to a conference one time that i thought was a very cool idea um one of the practitioners used her you know her oral progesterone compounds for um for sleep and for our typical symptoms but then at a very low dose like as needed or prn cream of progesterone that people could use when they were feeling anxious when they had some of the mood components they would put it on their wrist um and it's very tiny and it was immediate release dose and so you weren't getting the, the sedative effect from it but you're getting some of the calming effects so there's always a way um, but you're absolutely right in that everything you draw is going you're, you talk about peak and trough levels meaning higher low levels you got to pay attention to the administration and the half-life of what you're doing to get accurate levels as well
0: yeah because that's a that's like a my thought process is like with testosterone placement we can have a longer acting ester where you keep this nice stable level of course with females i mean even in in testosterone you kind of have this little wave that's pulsatile throughout the day um with with estrogen progesterone applications how they are now they're not really that sustained but i guess that's you could still gain a benefit in just having it applied within the right time windows to gain that that benefit is that, yeah. is
1: that, I mean, standing there? The, the, yeah, I think the, the cream, you know, in your, your 24 hour time frame of application, um, you know, and just cause a sidebar and maybe a PSA to people that might be using cream as uh, modalities, you know, the time frame does matter. So like if you're using a testosterone cream and you're applying it at night and you can't sleep, it, you know, it's the, the mechanism of action act there. I've seen that quite a bit. So I just want to throw that out there. Um, you know, but as far as the as As the estrogen creams go, you know, really knowing yourself, knowing when you need the most benefit of that peaking in two hours and maybe that six to eight hour window, just like with progesterone, when we're using it for the sleep and recovery components, you know, we're taking it before bed to take advantage of that six to eight hour mechanism of action there. So it's not a perfect system at all for you to get this nice steady state, which is frustrating, which we can do more so with TRT. And even with females, you get into like... Some of my females, I microdose their TRT just to control some, some of you know that up and down even more to try to get steady state. But I don't have a way or a modality at this point really, with other than the fast-acting progesterone maybe for some of the mood symptoms. There's, there's nothing with estrogen at this point.
0: Yeah, I, so go I up. <laughs> yeah, well, I think I think that brings up a good point of like knowing knowing the action of each hormone and when to deploy each one. Because um, estrogen is kind of like your wake up, excitability, can kind of make you too anxious type feeling hormone. Um, Deployment like in the morning when you're getting up and getting more active and then progesterone to is there chill out, calm hormone, putting that around nighttime. Probably not what you wanna be putting around training and we also how yeah. it can drive a little bit more insulin resistance and estrogen is more insulin sensitive. That makes sense to have it more active like during the day and timing those out like that. So maybe, maybe a sustained approach, just maybe that wouldn't even be optimal and it, you're never going to mimic perfectly how our body pulses those hormones. So, um, now that's, that's that aspect. And, and what you, you mentioned a number for estrogen, I've seen people try to throw estrogen progesterone ratios around and I haven't never found any really solid data to back that um, outside of just, you kind of go off symptomology and how someone feels. Um, do you have any numbers on progesterone for, for, for serum levels, what you try to look for?
1: What I try to do. And again, completely anecdotal, there's not a good Okay. And it's just going to a lot. I get a lot of the stuff from the American Academy of Anti-Aging and going to their big conferences because they do a lot of cool things. Um, I like the 10 to 1 ratio is really what kind of sticks in my head. So with you know what we're meaning there is if you drew luteal phase hormones, you'd want to see kind of that 10 to 1 ratio of estrogen to progesterone to make sure you have balance at that peak level. Kind of a sidebar for me, symptomatically speaking, is in a follicular phase, I do like to see a, a progesterone of about one to three. Anything sub one really means there's no function. Um, you know, in my menopausal people, you're not, you're going to get that 0.002 range. You know, that means none, or you might get like 0.6 or 0.4. I I like to have it a little bit. And so when people are symptomatic with some of the, you know, issues we talk about surrounding progesterone deficits, I will give them even as small as 25 milligrams of progesterone if they're, you know, less than that one to three in the follicular phase.
0: So
2: do you ever like see the useful benefit and like the cycling of that progesterone administration according to that?
1: do and i mean I, I really do feel like that's ideal it's challenging it's challenging with irregular periods it's challenging with ablation with partial hysterectomies it's just really going to depend on your patient um you can figure out what your hormones are doing over a three month time frame if you are really diligent about getting that calendar out and tracking everything if you don't want to you know cycle map you really can get a good idea and it's not perfect. So when I tell people, okay, when, when that edge is starting to come around that day, 10 to 14, when you're starting to fill that up, oh, everything was good. And that flow phase, your and energy's up training's up. I'm happy. And then even though I didn't ovulate, I kind of sort of went through the motions in my body and then what, then everything changed. And I started getting a little bit of water retention, you know, I'm starting not, you know, strength is down try doubling your progesterone, you know, try going up to that next step or not necessarily doubling depends on what their dose is and see if we can correct that this cycle. And if that corrects it, we kind of know around ten, day 10 to 14 is when you're looking at taking that. It's really as much data as the person can give you, give you that. But yes, I think ideally, you know, here's the thing too, in perimenopause, we never want to suppress ovulation. And so if someone needs a massive dose of progesterone in the luteal phase we don't necessarily want them to be taking that massive dose the entire time because we have the potential to suppress ovulation that would have been a normal cycle so yeah i, I think the
0: cycling is ideal if we can do it and yeah you know, i want to because I, I do this with renee because i i know there's going to be competitors out there like but and, and coaches that are going to say you're going to take estrogen progesterone like how is this going to affect my the aesthetic look like don't shouldn't we shouldn't be be pulling these things off like or you know it's just there's just not an understanding there um i will say that uh you know progesterone itself has a slight diuretic effect and is also a kind of anti glucocorticoid effect um so it actually wouldn't cause water retention um now estradiol yes it, it can drive up aldosterone level. Um, and mainly from at least what I've read, there's an increased sensitivity for antidiuretic hormone. It looks like there's not really much a change of total body water, but it can cause some shift actually in water balance. But I would say this is probably when you're seeing those females come in that have that really bad bloating like before the menses to where we're not talking about estradiol within the 30 to 70 mark. They're probably over 100, 200, 40, as high 100. as 800. And, and, and that's what you're seeing. So this little bit of estradiol we're talking about is not going to cause that amount of water tension present. And like for, right. for Renee, we just pulled labs. She's two weeks out. So I'm going to see what her actual estradiol is. Because usually for her, if she's around 40-ish for a show, like Renee right now has like striated quads and glute lines. So it's fucking muddy. <laughs> and I'm like, sorry, this morning, I'm like, holy shit. She's still on 50 milligrams of progesterone every single day. She is on some, some estrogen modulation, but that's based off her own inter individual need for where I want estrogen. I'm never going to crash estrogen for her. So if she stays around that 40 mark, that's perfect for off season for her. Usually when she gets up 60, 70, that's when she's like feels awesome and making her like best progress. Um, And that and she'll get her normal menstrual cycle back. And that's what we just let it ride at and and manage estrogen through, like you saw liver metabolism using dim or sulforaphane stuff to help clear out estrogen metabolites that could have more promotion for those side those side effects that you you see. But I want to bring up that for like for coaches like don't think this will have negative outcomes within the physique. It actually could be more ideal because you could see uh, females that are too low in these hormones. For one, they're not going to feel as good. They won't have as good as sleep, which is going to affect fatigue levels. Um, also, you need some estrogen for, for fatty acid metabolism and glucose uptake. So um, it's definitely a, a a thing that you want to pursue. Um, I think, you know, for the coaches
1: that are worried about all those aspects, just like you talked about, which, you know, I've had discussions with lots of them as well simple enough is to draw some labs and let's just see where you're at don't necessarily you know we we don't have to assume that they're x y or z based on how they look but let's see because if they are they you're absolutely if they are low giving them something to bring them to normal is not going to send them into the symptomology that you see with estrogen dominance or estrogen excess it's, it's just, it's, it's just not, it's
0: always, it's going to help.
2: <laughs> yeah. I'm here to help. <laughs> well, I think that's one of the things like people have heard me discuss it on other podcasts as well is like that needs analysis of estrogen modulation deployment is what we need to be having rather than this scripted out deployment of AIs and CIRMs within a contest prep, because it's what you do across all of your female clients. And I think that that is where like educating yourself on like these ranges and where your clientele look and feel the best is probably where the best outcomes lie for our clientele. Um, and then being able to back that up with the testing in order to be able to do that, which from financial perspective is an important conversation to have with people because the testing in order to do that is not always the cheapest. Um, there, there's ways obviously to get it at not too bad of a cost, but it's still going to require a financial commitment there. And so I think that's one of the biggest barriers you will kind of see as a coach is like maybe the financial considerations and being able to actually do that. Um, and so it helps to have some data on the forefront, if you can um, just yeah. to kind be able to create a predictive model across the contest route.
0: I, I think with something you just mentioned, like the, the misuse of estrogen modulation, and I, I want all females to like perk their ears up because these are red flags to me And I like to go through the logical thought process of before I deploy any type of compound or drug, and and this is for the last bit of prep where someone's going to use an an aromatase inhibitor like anastrozole, or they're going to be put on Novodex, a CIRM, is if you're not having a menstrual cycle, you're, you're very likely not having any ovarian output of estrogen and progesterone. Also, most females are not taking testosterone, they're probably on something that does not aromatize, which meaning you're not getting estrogen from the hormone you're taking, you're not producing estrogen uh, endogenously, which you might have some adrenal conversion of DHEA, maybe, but it's very likely you have very, very little estrogen to begin with. And this is what we all do see in our labs. So for at the last weeks of prep, now you're going to take an estrogen blocker of some sort, makes no sense. And it puts you at high risk um, for the detriments of what, what these compounds do, because long-term use, they are cardiotoxic, but it's not going to improve your physique. It's not estrogen-driven. You're, you're, you're trying to pin down the, the wrong, you're trying to hit the hammer with the wrong nail, right? Or something like that. <laughs> uh, you yeah. not
1: holding water because of estrogen. You don't yeah. Have yeah,
0: yeah. It. <laughs> and it's, it's probably fat. You probably just need to lose more body fat, or you're probably having water because you're, you're cortisol and fatigue-driven. Um, It's not estrogen. And so I don't think there's a very minimal time you'd ever need something like that within a contest prep, um, unless you could verify within within labs.
2: I've got a kind of a sidebar is like to wrap this into like the client perspective is finding the practitioner to help with this. Because I think this is one of the hardest aspects with with doing this, right? Is a lot of it, all of this is done through compounding pharmacies. And so it's not something that you can just off-the-cuff black market be able to do um and just basically any guidelines or help you give to the to the client and finding practitioners that are um worth their two cents because i mean i've had girls come to me where their trt uh clinic gave them just 25 megs of test straight off the cuff and it's like "Mm, let's let's not do that there's there's that's not and it's just like makes them really hesitant to go back to hrt clinics because they come to me i kind of walk them through the process of why that's wrong and then it's it's just like a downstream negative association with it right and so like that process of elimination and looking for providers that are within your state because we do have to have licensure within like states to be able to practice and so um it's important to be able to have that tool to be able to find the right practitioner
1: yeah one of the, I, I I've toyed with this for a couple of years now, even to the point where at some point it's on my to-do list that maybe we could get some sort of list of people that are, you know, within the realm within the circuit, some sort of vetting like state by state to, you know, say, okay, you know, if you live in Maryland, we know of this person and you know, they understand the aspects. Um i tried you know it's a long process to license yourself state by state if i had it my way i would license myself and all the states and be like okay i'll help you um but i'm only licensed in washington and arizona at this point
0: <sighs> yeah. does that work where they can do a face-to-face via virtual and you could but you have to be
2: licensed in the state that she can practice you still in. have to be yeah so um, like-
1: right yeah so they're 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 working on that Because, you know, for example, I have compounding pharmacies that can send all over the United States. Um, It's, Luke is not wrong. Um, That being said, with the advent of an acceptance of telemedicine from an insurance perspective, all of those things are, have now become kind of this big gray area. In theory, I am supposed to be licensed in the state that you are in. It has nothing to do with the state I am in. Um, but there is legislation that's looking at changing around that because you're seeing a lot of, particularly around mental health where, you know, they're, they're not really following that and we're kind of accepting that. So if that changes, then it would make things a lot easier. I think, um, the other kind of aspect to it is you can always get information. And if you have an open person that's been taking care of you, you know, maybe if you come with a relatively well presented argument and some some data, maybe they would help you. But uh, we're just, you know, some people are open-minded, some people aren't. And it's it's kind of weeding them out and finding them, but we could probably help people by if we had some sort of, you know, maybe it's something over time that on your on your site, John, that we could kind of have a list of, you know, providers and state by state, or, you know, who could you at least consult with if you had a question that could send you down the right direction? Because yeah, people can't access, access it well. And then, you know, I don't, I don't get a ton of this with the girls, um, but a lot with the guys, they just won't tell me what they're on. And then I can look at their lab and be like, okay, let's have the real talk now. Um, and there's a stigma. And so, you know, we we judge you know we judge other supplementation use, and we as providers really shouldn't. It's my personal two cents, but you so you have to find somebody that you can be completely
2: honest with because it all makes a difference. Yeah, I think presenting the right case to I've had WPD clients where not really knowing their state, I've just said, hey, like educate them to the point that they can maybe write it down and then go have a discussion, and it's worked out yeah. where the provider would be on board. So. Um, As a coach, a lot of
0: people do
1: want to help.
2: And so if we can, you know, if you,
1: you, I think what you did is perfect. If, if you, you know, for me, if a client or patient comes with a well presented argument and some data to back it up, I'm going to listen to it. I'm going to say, okay, you know, I I think I can help you. These don't seem
0: abnormal requests. Yeah, I think even you could probably look through like a four M Academy of medicine. They have a lot of practitioners that do a lot of telemedicine and that are the topics we're talking about. This is their whole core belief and Mm -hmm. they might have a lot of resources for your state there um, as, as just a starting point. I also usually look for functional medicine doctors because they're a little bit more versed in, hrt western medicine and use a combination of both so that's yeah. what i will try to look up for different states and then looking at hrt clinics and just seeing what you have around you then also who they have on board and maybe if they are certified with the, with the a4m um and they're not just there to make money off writing test descriptions you know you know um so yeah it just uh, i think those are good resources but definitely I would love to put together a resource list for everyone on on the site so valuable but i I think uh you know within within hrt i i believe that is really a starting point for the female from a physique enhancement standpoint before we ever should dive into like what should my antivirus first cycle look like And, and same with males like for a male a starting point if you're using performance enhancement it usually starts with testosterone what we're naturally producing in our bodies with with a female we should optimize what you're already naturally producing and then get everything out of that that you can before moving on to any next levels also you get an understanding of your response to testosterone therapy because i've had when i started testosterone therapy with renee she was on uh, like 10 milligrams a week of testosterone and her levels Or 180 nanogram per deciliter, which is really high. Um, And that was only a 10 milligram. Now you have another female on 10 milligram and that might be normal for them. But now I understand for Renee that her response to an androgen is 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 much more, is greater than another female. So now Renee does like seven milligrams a week and that has her right at 80. And that's a good number. But knowing that I now know how to deploy other compounds that might be in place for physique development, whether, you know, talking or master on or, yeah. a or something, I'm not going to be overdoing her because of just some, Hey, you just started X number. I have some bases yeah. to go off of. So with testosterone, we're able to dose it and then actually look at it in the lab and see that serum response. Of course, a serum response doesn't mean it's going to be the same physiological response, um, but it gives you some insight to go off of before we dive into yeah. just starting, with uh with an antivar or something but i think hrt is a is the health aspects you can cover but also still get a lot out of physique wise um i know we're close to like getting on an hour but i did want to touch on of what we can if you're okay with it serene do you have any a little bit yeah. Okay. because cool. okay. <laughs> uh, i, I didn't want to bring up because i have i have females that are on birth control which i know it's it's such a huge <laughs> conversation, depending on what generation of birth control they're on, if it's progesterone, if it's combined with estradiol, um, then the non-oral based of just, you know, uh, depot oh, shots, right. yeah, IUDs, yeah. et cetera. Um, and so at least within serum labs, when I have someone that say they're on a oral birth control, that, it, you know, exogenous hormone is going to be suppressing any um endogenous production. So you're not going to see, usually I see low testosterone level um, increased sex hormone binding globulin. And a lot of times you don't see, you don't pick up estrogen or progesterone in the labs. Maybe you do on, on depending on what birth control it is. Yeah. Um, you, you know, what is, what is your approach within that for a physique competitor? We get specific um, with, is there an application for, for birth control in these competitors or, you know, or how, or how can you use HRT along with that birth control for maybe an optimal effect, if that's even a, a case and point to make? I can tell you,
1: um, Oh my gosh, we have this discussion all the time. I know. <laughs> and I, you know, obviously it's not a perfect world. We live in perfect world is no one needed any form of birth control or they were completely savvy enough to do the rhythm method and could stick to that and life would be good. Um, you know, you talk about like the non-hormonal IUDs pluses and, you know, we can go into the pluses and minuses with that. Here's my takeaway for the competitor and what I personally have done um, with disclaimer. I, I cannot guarantee that if I were to give you maybe some supplemental progesterone, because we're, you know, we're, we might be dealing still with the effects because I'll actually see a decent estrogen in like IUD is the most common around here. I don't know what it is, marine IUD, which that, you know, they claim that it's non-hormonal, but it is hormonal. We won't get into that. I'll still see a big luteal phase defect in those people. I, I, I don't know what it is, but that's the most common for me. And so as a practitioner, I can't guarantee that I'm going to change in theory because I don't have a study the efficacy of your birth control by giving you progesterone. So that's a discussion we have to have, but I will, I will use it. Um, because I see benefit to it if I've got somebody with an estrogen of 300 and a progesterone level of 0.2, something's got to give here. Um, I probably wouldn't use any sort of synthetic estrogen when you had another synthetic estrogen on board. Um, again, no data, no studies, but when we're talking about what we're using for it and why it's typically later on. And so I feel like, you know, we probably should be having a better discussion about if this is our end point of reproduction and where our fertility is going to go. And that tends to be, you know, hopefully a little bit, you know, your 35, 40 plus population that is, you know, okay with not continuing to have children. They may have been done. And so then it's more like, I'm talking about partner, like, you know, sorry boys, but it's like, can we talk about vasectomy? Can we talk about something else Mm -hmm. so we can optimize you? I probably... I, I just, I have no data on it. I, my my biggest concern as a provider is I never want to do something worse. So I never want to give someone extra estrogen if they're already taking estrogen. And maybe I don't understand what that estrogen containing birth control is doing in their body. I, I'm okay with progesterone symptomatically. I'm okay with TRT because if you're going to keep the IUD in and you're going to keep training and you're going to run levels of nothing of testosterone, you're, you know, I feel bad for you. You're gonna be miserable. You're not gonna make progress. You're gonna, you know, have all of the side effects. I don't see a lot of interaction between birth control and testosterone deployed appropriately. When you talk about the, you know, when you talk about making sure they're not getting man doses, so we're not getting, you know, elevations in crit and increasing stroke risk that you have the same when you're on like an oral birth control pill. So I'll deploy TRT as well. really is just estrogen I probably wouldn't mess with, but I'm always begging people, my competitors to come off of birth control, at least at some point, maybe in an off season, so we can get somewhere to a baseline and figure out what we're doing. Uh, it's just, it's a component of we'll never truly know what your baseline is. And, and we'll, we'll never truly know how optimized you can be on it. That being said, there are people that will swear to you that They've been on it. They've done fine. They've done show after show. Um, and they'll say before I had it, my periods were terrible at heavy cycles, cramping, bleeding, in which case I would respond to them. You were probably very estrogen dominant when you, without it and the suppression helped you. There's probably a better way to make you not estrogen dominant and balance you overall. Um, You know, A4M is really big on how many hysterectomies and things did we do in the past for dysfunctional uterine bleeding that was just mismanaged estrogen dominance. So it really depends on the person's willingness to figure out the root cause and get back to where they wanna be if they don't. testosterone and progesterone would, you know, would be my HRT routes, cortisol would obviously be a huge route for everyone, because you just talk about that suppression and where we go with glucose and the and that whole pathway when you're not ovulating.
0: Uh, those are some excellent points. And I think what we see within competitors, that they have this loss of menstrual cycle function, that Maybe the birth control during that period would be a a slight advantage since you have some (laughs) type of input, opposed to, like, say, they don't have access to a provider that could do HRT. And that way they have something that is in place that probably is more likely to get prescribed than trying to go through the HRT route. But then you, you're right. You have to question, why did you even start it to begin with? What was, because sometimes people use it for acne control or maybe it was for okay. pregnancy prevention or for uh, period symptoms. And so like, why did you start it? And maybe there can be another route to go and you could get better progress, but probably to address that progress if you're on birth control is not stopping it during prep, but probably waiting till after a contest prep to do so. When you have yeah. the best potential to actually have menstrual cycle function and relieve any type of um, other outliers that could be driving um, down your normal cycling, like stress or low body fat, etc et, et like that. Um, you know, within my competitors, I, I, I do lean towards trying to do more of like just the an HRT route and not birth control. Um, just seem like with more of the synthetic progesterones, they have a lot of offsite targets. They act on yeah. just beyond just the progesterone receptor, and that's when a lot of issues occur. However, it's, it's really mixed from what I, I understand on as far as it might not have any effect on performance or being able to get stage lean. And yeah. so, but some some can, and it depends on the individual as well. So there's a lot of like caveat, caveat, caveat <laughs> uh, to these things. But I think that kind of gives probably people a general framework to think about. If you're using birth control, why'd you start using it? and if you have, if you want to put in the time, you can probably have an approach that might be more optimal physique wise uh, through an HRT means by doing so.
2: And I think yeah. overall, it's the, it's the education to the client, right? Because, like, yeah. that, that role of that, hey, like, there are better ways from a physique perspective to do this rather than, and, and even mitigate like pregnancy risk, right? Like, you have NFP, you have like contraceptives, like, there, there's much better ways to, to limit pregnancy where. We don't have to include birth control, but then at the same token, our role is not demonizing it either because I see coaches demonize it to the point of telling them with an emotional outreach of saying, I would never put my daughters on that. So you shouldn't be either. Right. And so like, let's not do that. Let's go down the education route and let the, the client alongside maybe a provider be able to make a little bit more of an informed decision.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. And it, it, you know, John brought up another good point. You know, you talk about the acne component of it, you know, are you getting into the PCOS component of it? And it's, it's really, how, how much do you want to dig into it? When can you dig into it when you can have an optimal, you know, other things you're hundred percent right. I'd never take anybody off birth control in the middle of a prep. Um, it's just asking for catastrophe probably on multiple levels. But thinking about you know, okay, you know, if you are a NPC competitor that eventually wants to compete in the pro league, maybe considering in that off season, you know, that's one of the aspects of your health and your physique that you're going to work on to make sure, you know, if and when you get that pro card and you're going to go compete in the pro circuit, that you're as as optimized, optimized as you possibly could be.
0: Yeah, that's um, I. I won't. I have more questions, Serena, and I. I would love to have you back on, but I. I will, I'll. I'll. stop myself from talking. I would love to get more into the post-show management period because it's so dynamic, um, with timing of, of menstrual cycle return and seeing. Because we were discussing this too, of of uh, how body fat can transition between these time periods and how do you manage that? So. Um, this might maybe a part two that we could do if if you would like, like to come back. Absolutely, I'd love to do that. <laughs> okay, um, but I can
1: talk about this all day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I do. It's super interesting, and I, I've I've got a huge interest. And this is for for J through U. Like by January, I, I like to have a full female P D module that goes through the whole spiel on menstrual cycle function, what's normal, what's abnormal, where do you start, and then moving all the way to, hey, you're a pro, what's that full enhancement model look like for you? Um, so that'll happen. That'd be amazing. I know, there's awesome. a lot of like, John, do this, John, do this. I'm like, I'm trying, I'm just, <laughs> I'm, I'm, di- I'm dieting, and I only have this much brain function. <laughs> so, but uh, no, so super exciting. Um, for you, Serena, if there's uh, any Do you put out information on your Instagram? Where should people reach out to you for more info or your clinic or anything that you you think uh, you you want to plug for people to get help? I think
1: someday I'll be cool. Right now, I'm just, I'm just me. Um, So, you know, my Instagram, if you want to message me, I will write back to you and I will help you and I will try to figure out a way if I can't help you to get you to someone just because it's meaningful and it's important to me. And so I'm not cool enough to really have any of the link trees or websites or anything else. I you just have a local clinic here, but I will figure something out. If you just, just message me on Instagram. What,
0: what, what is your local clinic? Do you, I work. So I work through a
1: clinic called total care. And so we do family practice and, uh, I kind of have been deemed like the competitive hormone person. and so I do a lot of the lifestyle people that have coaches that are doing um, you know actual plans. and then we have a we have a fairly big um, competing community here. And so I work with our local gyms and kind of manage those as well. and just slowly, but surely I've been reaching out to different people. I'm starting to manage some people in Arizona and then I'm going to get licensed in California. Cause I have another coach that I'm working with, and I need to see his clients as well. So little by little.
0: Very cool. Well, well, thank you. I'll put that all below in the show notes. So if anyone has wants to reach out to Serena, um, she, and she's kind and willing enough to, to help you. So again, Serena, thank you so much for coming on. Um, this is J3U podcast like share appreciate it all leave comments and we'll talk to you guys next time all right thanks john